0: Chesapeake Offshore Sailing Services, helping you win the race to the starting line. Hey everybody, this is Brian from Chesapeake Offshore Sailing Services. It's been a while since we've talked, to kind of let the podcast hang out for a while. I haven't done a lot. It's been a very busy summer for racing and sailing and doing a lot of great stuff. So it's a good problem to have. But um, as a result, I have not made any podcasts in quite a while. So sorry for that. But hey, life, uh, life is busy. So uh, the last podcast uh, I was doing was uh, a multi-part one on 10 best ways to screw up your offshore voyage. And um, some helpful hints on how to look at prevention of damage, uh, breakage, and just screwing stuff up. That's a pretty big topic, and there's a lot there, and frankly, it's part of a a talk that I I give about the subject, and I don't have the PowerPoint in front of me, so I'm not going to continue with that just this moment, but I figured since it's been so long, it's kind of worthwhile to get something back up and run. So what I thought I might talk about tonight, I mean, it'll tie in a little bit, I guess, but is rig failure right uh rig failure is something that everybody it's kind of like your ultimate fear offshore you know you got the the mast up lose a backstay lose a forestay, lose a upper lose a lower next thing you know the whole rig is folding up like house cards and you're stuck in the middle of the ocean and no way to fix it because you've uh, lost the rig over the side yeah nightmare right we hear about this happening. There's always a rig going overboard on any of the large distance races, you know, route to rum and the transat and, you know, Annapolis to Newport had a rig. One of the Navy boats had a rig go overboard. We've had a friend whose boat, they were headed headed south for the, uh, for the winter lost their rig and, you know, on and on. It it does happen. It's not uh, it's not a completely unfounded fear. So how do you how do you fight against that? Right. A lot of these times, certainly with the the bigger ocean races, it's like considered an un you know an, oh an unknown defect. Right. Something something somewhere had a defect in it. You know, one of the the fittings had a hairline crack and it let go or things like that. That's um, you know. That's on well-maintained boats that are doing races. There are instances where, you know, the rig is pretty old. It's kind of, it can be hard to tell when a rig is, is uh, compromised. You know, things may look shiny on the outside, and there may be crevice corrosion in the terminals. There may be um, there may be rust inside of the strands of uh, of the, the twisted strand rigging, and that's pretty hard to, to identify. So yes, it happens. It happens for a couple of uh, few different reasons. But if if you remember, and if you would seen some of the earlier, or listened to some of the earlier podcasts rather, um, I talk about three the three phases of uh, salvaging your, your journey or your race or your trip to the Bahamas or wherever the hell you're going. Step one is on the dock, right? We've talked about this before. You know, identify potential problem points if you have an older boat and the rigging is old, what can you do before you leave to mitigate any potential weaknesses in in your in your system? And obviously, to a certain extent, that is you could replace the entire rig, right? You say, "Hey, this is ten years old. I'm going across uh, the Atlantic, the Pacific, wherever. Uh, I don't want. I don't want to think about it. I just want to go." Um, and if you have the money and you are being conscientious, you probably do that. That said, uh, so that's one way to go, right? But then that doesn't mitigate against the, um, the 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 failures that you're seeing in these ocean races, where it's like, well, the fitting let go, or there was a hairline crack, or a problem with the casting, right? It's like a cast part sometimes, or you know, whatever, whatever these different failures are, you know, on new stuff. So you're on the on land portion of this. Is well within your control, right? Now, full disclosure here, uh, and and again, this this kind of pulls into the two later parts, and I'll give you some of my personal experience there. Uh, when we were crossing the Pacific, when I crossed the Pacific for the first time, I had a aft lower go on me. Sailing along was not a crazy day. I mean, it was breezy in the trade wind, kind of breezy, but not nothing crazy. And all of a sudden, bang the lower goes, you know, the, the mass starts to look a little weird, right, because things are not being uh, supported in the way they were. Uh, it's a funny thing, at least for me, I don't know how it is for other people, but when you're, when you're planning voyages and you're planning trips, in, in your head you go over the potential failure points over and over again, you know, what would I do if this happened, what would I do if that happened, you know, a lot of your headspace, especially when you're first getting into it, you know, I've thought about these things a million times, so I don't really kind of need to think about it anymore. It's, it's, it's not stressing me out. But at that time, you have a, a certain amount of fear, right? You've got a certain amount of fear about this big thing that you're doing. And so what do you do with that fear? Well, you know, some people just say, oh, my God, that's too crazy. I could never do that. People like me channel that fear into what-if scenarios. Well, okay, if this happens, that, you know, and I'm kind of trying to think around it. You know, at the time when I did that that trip... You know, I was working as a first mate on a schooner, and you know, that's not a, exactly a big dollar uh, kind of thing. It was sort of, I quit my, my corporate gig job in New York City. Claire and I were living down in the Keys um, and just kind of living a, a second, you know, I won't say childhood, but like a second college type lifestyle where we're just hanging out with our friends, drinking in Key West, uh, working on boats, and drinking our tip money. But again, not a ton of money, kind of cruising, living on the boat and at that time you know i just didn't have the the money to re-rig the boat i looked at it the best i could the rig looked all right but uh you know it was of an indeterminate age right we didn't really know uh you know the sails were relatively new um but we didn't know but i didn't take care of that first part right you know if i had really been conscientious i would have said right i need to replace some of this rigging and make sure we're ready to roll but anyway didn't do that so for you, if you're thinking about going offshore, hopefully you'll be smarter than you know a a, a mid to uh, lower twenties uh, Brian. You know, I have always kind of relied on my ability to fix stuff on the fly, and for a guy with no money, I I you know it wasn't like I didn't think that hey the rig could go. It was a major concern for me, but I just didn't have the cash. I just couldn't haul the mast. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't even afford. Um, the cable. At that point, you know, we had a certain amount of dough to to get around. We had a big old bag of rice and off you went. So how I dealt with it was I came up with what I thought were good solutions for if the rig does go, what are we going to do? You know, the the classic advice is that if you lose uh, part of your rig, you're going to, you know, you're going to tack the boat or drive the boat over. So you want the side that is intact to take all the pressure. I knew that my the backstay wasn't really going to be a major issue for me because the boat had double backstays, split backstays from the top. So sometimes you'll have like one stay that comes down to like three-quarters of the way down and then splits and then there may be a tension or something on it. This boat had two backstays running right up the back. Now they were, you know, offset. They, they weren't like both in line. But I figured even if I lost one of those, I could tack the boat over fast enough, or at least I I, I, I hoped that I could. didn't really know. So the backs they should be okay. Uh, four stay, you know, you can you can lose a four stay, but with a roller furler rig and a tensioned uh, headsail on there, you know, unless things are really crazy, you're probably not going to lose the rig because of the four stay going overboard. And so I was kind of counting on that. And then I did my best. I went up the rig. I looked at the uppers and the lowers, and I looked at the. Uh, these are all. Uh, swage fittings um not like um the mechanical fastener ones swage or swage i don't know i always say want to say swage but i think people other people say it differently uh talk to your rigger they'll tell you how to say it but anyway so i looked at them i hit them with a little green scrubby i look for any crevice corrosion or rust coming out of them and they look fine they look you know, I, I looked at them with a magnifying glass, like they say you should do. You know, one thing I didn't do was I didn't get a dye penetrant. It's something they say there's like this red dye you can put on the on the terminals, and then supposedly that seeps into any little cracks. Uh, I didn't do that because I had riggers tell me that that was a waste of time too. But anyway, so where my rig broke was, and I think I know why, my rig broke at a round chest level on that lower. And I think that the boat at some point had those. Uh, there's these like little plastic sleeves you can put over the uh, the rigging wire to kind of keep things from chafing. And I think the boat had that. And those tend to kind of collect moisture and cause a little more corrosion. And so you know it didn't break at the fitting. It broke actually at the cable. There weren't any like strands that had popped before that. And so what I had thought in my head for that particular failure was i said if if a if a cable goes i'm going to flop the boat over and then i've got these bulldog clamps or so like u clamps that some people call them bulldog clamps just like a stainless steel pretty cheap little bulldog clamps and and a big eye like a big stainless eye so my thought was if i lose lose a, a piece of rigging i'll fold the wire over uh, and clamp it down and then, and I, I don't know if I read this somewhere, read it in a book, God knows where at this point. And then, you, what you do is you have a piece of your chain that's for your anchor or for whatever. I actually just have, had had a uh, just a loose piece of chain that wasn't part of any uh, any of my ground tackle. And so you basically bulldog eye put build an, uh, an eye to the piece of the rigging that's still attached to the upper part of your rig. Uh, this is now assuming that you flop the boat over and the pressure is off the broken piece. Uh, and then you use that and, and um, you clamp the eye uh, obviously with some other fasteners or whatever you got on the boat you clamp that onto the chain and then you tension the, the thing as best you can um, with the chain you know, and kind of like pull it down and then secure the chain so the chain takes up the slack of the area that's gone and if you have a turnbuckle still then you tension it, and it's fine. What I also did was I had some JB weld, so where the two sections of the, um, the cable went together. I kind of smeared a whole bunch of JB weld in there. I, I don't think that actually did anything, but it made me feel better at the time. Uh, so I kind of gluing the wires together. But really, those bulldog clamps, I had three bulldog clamps, um, and they worked like a dream. And, and I had that on the boat ready to go because that was the plan. I had a plan. I knew that I was exposing myself a certain amount, with not having replaced all the rigging, and you know, on a hope and a prayer, I put it put together my uh, my kit to try and fix this thing, and it happened. And when it happened, you know, you, you spend a lot of time worrying about these things. And when it happened, rather than being freaked out, I, I went very very calm. When sometimes when small things get you, that might get you a little bit frazzled. But when a really big thing like hey, the rig might go over any second. Uh, for some reason, rather than get like freaked out about it, I just get like super laser focused and super calm. like okay, step one, we're gonna get the rig over, you know, nobody freak out, that kind of thing. And uh, and I did. I did exactly like I had planned and it worked. and actually I mean I sailed for another week with that rig like that because we were I think we we're on the way to American Samoa at that point when when we broke the rig. And, I mean, if I had been in a pinch, I probably could have sailed a lot longer with that. Uh, you know, the wherever that weak point was, was kind of gone. You know, obviously I got it fixed. I got some cable shipped to me, and we replaced it uh, when we were in Samoa, and, uh, or American Samoa, sorry. So, anyway, that's how I did it back in, I don't know, 2007 or 2008 or something like that, a while ago. How you do that now is... I think it's still a valid stuff to have on the boat. You know, have some bulldog clamps. There's like a million uses for them. Certainly if you have problems with your uh, steering quadrant, you might need some extra bulldog clamps. You know, probably about the same size would, would work. But now, and I didn't even have any of this at the time, or I'm sure it existed, but I, I wasn't, wasn't on my radar, was the thing to do is to have a Dyneema stay made up the length of the longest stay on the boat, right? So that's probably going to be your forest stay, and so you have this like emergency stay ready to roll and if you lose a backstay or a forest stay, and you don't you know you manage to not lose the rig you could pull the Dyneema stay up with a halyard you could secure the rig with a halyard send somebody up the mast not necessarily top of my list to be going up a mast that's compromised but the idea is that you use this stay That will work for the uppers, the lowers, the backstay, the forestay, whatever. Because it's Dyneema, so it's super strong. And, you know, that place is what you lost. For that stay, there's a really kind of super cheap way to to, to buy one. For that kind of emergency situation, you don't really need like an Amstel type uh, Dyneema stay. You can buy some of the more generic stuff that they use um, for for the front of like off-road vehicles. The diameter of, of the dynamo that they use on their like you know you see a truck and it's got like a a little wire spool in the front of it and it's used to like haul them out of mud and stuff like that. Well, the diameter of that it's actually a little bit big for what you need. But usually those you can get them in like a sixty foot, uh, eighty. Don't, they don't usually do a hundred foot, but uh, you can get a, a, a sixty foot. Like look it up on Amazon or wherever, and you can get a roll of that for like I don't know. I th- I think I think it's like thirty five bucks or something like that. It's not expensive. They usually have an eye already built into them, uh, like a steel eye on one end, and you know it's a cheap bit of insurance. Just throw that in a drawer and then you know. Maybe you need a piece of Dyneema. Uh, I mean, it is Dyneema. It's it may not be the uh, the the number of strands is different. Like an Amsteel has a a lot more strands in it, whereas this stuff is uh, I guess you could call it like a little bit of a coarser weave. But the strength is still there. You know, if it can pull a Land Rover out of the mud, like it can hold your rig up, it'll be fine. So, so that's an option. The Bulldog clamps are a good option. Have that stuff around. And again, Dyneema doesn't weigh anything either. So you get this coil of 60 feet of line. And when you get that little box, like I, I bought some for uh, for something else, you know, like lifelines or, or, sorry, jack lines for the deck I think I was going to use it for. I don't think I ended up using it for anything. But I bought a, a spool of this stuff just to see what it looked like anyway and to have it. And the box is tiny. It's like, you're like, how is that even pop- 60 feet of a rope? And it is. So anyway, that's an easy way to deal with it. In terms of what you can do to mitigate the problems in in the rig, I have some opinions on this, which could be completely wrong, but I'll give you my opinion anyway. You know, when you see rudder failures, sometimes that's people not driving great, putting a lot of pressure on the rudder when they shouldn't. And I feel like to a certain extent, I, I see that rigging sometimes will break. When the loads are not distributed evenly throughout the rig, so like a big headsail up, but then a triple reef for main, and um, you know the the main will take a lot of tension off the backstay. Say like you got to say you got your main cranked in hard, the you know it's it's almost like a second backstay at that point. Like a, a midline main, you know, wanged in super hard. It's like your your rig's not going anywhere. And I think that when there's too much headstay, or sorry, when there's too much uh, head sail, and you've got a reefed um, main, I think the balance may just be a little bit too out of load, and so that may be a contributing factor on some boats. Um, I know that for me, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of race boats don't have like a topping lift for the the main boom, right? Like everybody's got a rigid vang now. There's not a lot of topping lifts out there. It's kind of like this. This bit of line that is hanging around and smacking into the back of your sail. And uh, it's not cool anymore to have a topping lift, right? It's just like, no, you just have the rigid vang and it's, you know, one less thing up on the rig. But if for whatever reason your um, your backstay goes, if you have a, a topping lift on the end of your main boom, before you can rig your Dynema or your Bulldog Trips or whatever the hell else you have, if you have a topping lift on the end of the boom and you got a good tackle or you got a winch that you can crank that thing on hard, well, that topping lift and then your tackle or your purchase or whatever, um, yeah, that becomes your, your um, support for the rear of the mast pretty darn quick. Um, that only works if you have a topping lift. Like, if you have... It, well, it works if you have a topping lift and if you have the main up and you have the main up fully, right? Um, but maybe you're reefed. You know, maybe that support from the top of the mast down, you know, where the tension is going up from the main is going three quarters of the way up the rig instead of all the way up the rig. Again, I could be completely wrong on this, but I know that uh, in a pinch, a topping lift and a heavily tensioned main sheet will act as the backstay for your rig, at least give you give you enough time to, to figure some stuff out. On my boat, that wasn't the case. On my boat it was just old stuff that should have been replaced. It wasn't heavier though, like I said, and, you know, the boat was it was a little uh, choppy, so the boat was bouncing around a little bit. So I think shock loads were probably what what put the nail in the coffin. People don't realize that like the shock load thing, you know, if you look at like a uh a tension gauge Shock loads, it just spikes the tension up high, even even more than, like, heavy air with a steady pressure. Uh, a shock load is, is a lot of load. So, anyway, all right, uh, that's all I'm going to talk about today. Don't lose your rig, and maybe pay a rigger to go check out your rig if you're not sure you want to do it. Uh, and that's it. So thanks, and we'll talk to you next time. It's Brian Barone from Chesapeake Offshore Sailing Services, and if you are looking for a raft for an to Bermuda, if you are if you are a former racer who's not racing this year, uh, reach out to us. If you got a raft that you want us to rent out, we're kind of doing we're doing the 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 rent ra- the raft rental thing. Um, you know, it's cruisers trying to help cruisers. Um, make a little bit money off your raft if you're not going to use it and defray some of the cost of the repack etc and we can facilitate that pretty quickly we got people that are looking for rafts so check it out anyway this is brian signing off we'll uh we'll get back into the top 10 ways to ruin your rig i think i might have just touched on one of them so all right we'll talk to you later bye